You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. And our guest today is Taylor Trusty. And Taylor is an entrepreneur. He's also a fellow member of the Entrepreneurs Organization here in New York City. And I wanted to have him on. Uh, he's got a lot of uh, experience uh, as a founder, as a CEO, and also having gone through an exit. So I wanted to get his insights on service-based companies and the experience he's had with that Taylor, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So why don't we start with a little bit of background. How, I guess, how did you become an entrepreneur? How did, how did your business start? What were you doing before you started the business? Uh, and let's kind of, let's get the origination story here and kind of hear how things, uh, things began. Sure. So I was obsessed with computers from a young age. I started programming when I was 13. I started building websites, you know, when I was 13, 14. I was really big into computer games. I played Counter-Strike. Uh, yeah. And I failed my freshman year of high school because I played too much Counter-Strike. <laughs> and I, so in the gaming world, you create, there are kind of these organizing groups of players. You yep. call them clans. Yep. And I ran a clan called Social Destruction of the Government. Pretty uh, <laughs> aggressive. Pretty anarchy, anarchist. <laughs> I guess I would you say yeah. yeah pretty pretty strong move I think for well, that's probably 14. Um, and so, so I built this website for us and I didn't have any money, right? So, so I befriended this guy who owned this hosting hosting company and he gave me a lot of free advice and free hosting for the website. So I built the site, was very proud of it. I ended up getting my first job at a web design company when I was 15. And then that led to, uh, I was a programmer. And then th- that led to me getting a job at Hewlett Packard. So I was a, what's called a TSR, a territory sales rep. I went into retail stores, Comp USA, Circuit City, Best Buy, a lot of them aren't around anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I went in there and sold sold computers, printers, scanners. And uh, so that was really fun. I was the youngest. So, so they, had, they had never hired anyone under 18. And yeah. I was 16. Wow. So as the youngest they'd hired up to that point. And then my last job was my senior year of high school. I was, I guess, 18. And I uh, worked as a, a programmer and also head of customer service for this e-commerce company. We sold sports trading cards online, mm, primarily yeah. on eBay. Yep. And so three of us there, you know, we, we got kind of arrogant and we thought, man, we run this place. We should just start our own company. <laughs> and I had always wanted to start a company. I had never wanted to go to college. I wanted to drop out of high school. That's why I failed, I guess. And, <laughs> you and, failed and to so, fail. <laughs> I failed to fail. Exactly. And, and so... Uh, so the three of us decided, hey, why don't we leave and start our own company? So I was 19. They were 10 years older than me. So they were 29. And I dropped out. Of, I, I did actually go to a couple of semesters of at the University of Louisville. Mm-hmm. This is all in Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah. So we started this company called Hobby Edge Sports. We sold sports collectibles instead of trading cards. Yep. We Primarily on eBay. 85% of our revenue was eBay. Built that up. Got to about half a million dollars in revenue in the first year, which nice. I thought was pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, rented a warehouse and we had a a small office. Louisville is a great place to do e-commerce in particular because Worldport, which is UPS's main hub, is based yeah. in Louisville. That's right. So yeah. you can you can ship all the way till 10 p.m. as if it went out the same day. And that's one of the only places in the country where you can do that. So, so it was a great learning experience. I ultimately kind of had a falling out with my partners. Yep. And so they bought me out. I left the business. And then I was back to kind of freelance programming and doing work. And then a, a friend of mine who I'd done some contract work for asked, if I'd start this company with him over lunch. Mm-hmm. I was like, sure. 
So we started what became Blackstone Media. Mm -hmm. That was in 2006. I bought him out in 2010. And so I was the only owner between 2010 and 2018 uh, when we sold to an agency in Boston. And then during that time, I also started a software company. I funded most of it. And they raised a small round from a venture capital firm and ultimately blew through all the money (laughs) and uh, (laughs) shut it down. So three companies, I guess, in total. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, different different setups, different outcomes, different experiences, I'm sure. So, uh, you know, you mentioned something in the beginning, which I I just wanted to kind of highlight uh, just maybe almost as humor that, you know, entrepreneurs are always I always find entrepreneurs want to find people just like them to come work for them. You know, that they uh, like, oh, I want to I want to find other people like me who feel ownership in the company and stuff. And, and the thing I always tell them is, look, as an entrepreneur, what did you do? Like you work for someone and then you got tired and left and started your own company. <laughs> like the, the last thing you want actually is people just like you working for you. That's typically not a great strategy because I just totally see like agree. you end up, you end up getting, um, you know, entrepreneurs are always, they're looking for new opportunities. They're looking to kind of create new, they're really not in many respects, not looking to kind of follow the leader in that, in those cases. So yeah, you clearly are cut from the entrepreneurial cloth. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I give you. you a lot of credit. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've spoken about some of your history before. So I had a couple of, you know, questions or, or things that I think would be really helpful for our audience. You know, one, I think it's, you know, the fact that you've had such a you know, run with a service-based company, I think is really interesting because I think that, you know, service companies are, you know, have their own kind of models, their own kind of, you know, challenges. And you, I think, have gone through a lot of them. You know, I know at one point or earlier in the company, uh, you had kind of an experience of, you know, trying to figure out who you were really servicing, what was your really kind of offering, who was your core customer, you know, because I think a lot of companies start with just kind of chasing money. They they want basically anyone who's willing to hire them for anything and pay them, they're willing to try to do. <laughs> and, you know, it's good to be scrappy. But I think at some point, it leads to a lot of kind of confusion and a lot of, you know, difficulty in terms of operations and, and staffing and things like that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, how that played out for you. And, and what what was a moment or what was the time when that kind of changed or where you saw kind of a different approach to that? I think that there are a couple of parts. So when I ended up buying my business partner out in 2010, mm-hmm. the staff that we had, we had six employees then, six or seven. And, you know, the, the team needed to be changed a bit. So we turned over a lot of those employees and, and we moved from kind of th- that approach that you're talking about. If, if you came to us and you said, hey, you know, I want to pay you $1,000 a month to do SEO or search engine optimization, mm-hmm. we'd find a way to make it work, right? And yeah. it's like, okay, yeah, I guess we could do this and this. And and we were doing probably 400000 a year in revenue then. And, you know, it wasn't seriously profitable. We were just kind of paying our bills. Mm-hmm. And and I, I didn't want to be as scrappy anymore. So, so we, we started building more expensive websites. The aim was to build 15, 20, $25,000 websites. And to do that, you know, we need a different kind of client set or a different uh, client set and also mm-hmm. a different employee set. Yep. And then, so, so that worked well, I guess, from like 2010 through probably 2013, 14. Mm-hmm. And then I, again, started wanting more. So, so we, we grew quite a bit. So it, in 2014, had 22 employees and we were losing uh, tons of money. <laughs> so so at the worst month was February of 2014, mm-hmm. and I lost 50 grand in one month. And yeah, that was that um, hurts. Yeah, and I, and I said, you know, I don't come from a wealthy family. No, you know, one of my family graduated college. I didn't either. But but yeah. <laughs> you know, and so you're like, oh shit, this isn't going to end well. Uh, yeah. 
I ended up, you know, I had some consultants working for me. God only knows what I was doing. And so I ended up laying off a number of people. We got down to about nine people. Mm -hmm. And I went to this conference in Orlando. It's called Digital Masterminds. I was cold called, you know, by this other agency owner. And he's like, look, you know, I found that there's value in being around other agency owners. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't really know any. Yeah. And so I, I went to this kind of like 30 person conference in Orlando and I thought it was great. You know, these people from all over the country. It was beautiful weather. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. And then I, I remember it uh, quite clearly. There was this guy who was supposed to give this talk about culture and his name is Jeb. So he, so he gets up. And he's this taller guy. And before I even heard him speak, I thought, I need to be friends with that guy. I need to get close to him. Yeah. So so he starts speaking about culture and he's writing all these things. And he's got this soothing voice and he's like really amazing. I hope he listens to this podcast. We'll we'll hunt him down and send him a link. Oh, no, I'll text him afterwards. So so then, and I've told this story a number of times at EO events. But, Uh you know, at the time, I, I was quite good at fanboying. You know, if I wanted to be close to you or friends with you, or what have you, you know, I'd find a way. And so during this conference, I would sit next to him, you know, but I would make it look like serendipitous. It's like, yeah. oh, hey, hey, Jeb, nice to see you again. Smart. Um, and, you know, he was such a nice guy and he was so gracious. And after his talk, I went up to him and I said, hey, you know, you were talking about selling $100,000 websites. I had never even thought of that. Like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And, and he was just wonderful. And he showed me about this process, this discovery process. And over the course, you know, we ended up becoming friends. I, he, he said, I don't think he expected me to take him up on it. But he said, hey, you know, if you're serious about this, why don't you come up to Indianapolis uh-huh. and you can, you know, meet with my team and you can see the way we do things. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. How about uh, maybe next week or the week after? <laughs> and so, so I got in my car. I drove up there. I had no apartment. I had like no hotel to stay in. Yeah. I just drove up there I and spent the day with him. And then I think he asked at some point, he's like, so... I'm like, where are you staying? I don't know. I ended up signing so up staying in his house with, uh, with his like wife and kids. And 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 we, we like a professional and, stalker here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, we stayed up like till the wee hours of the morning. He's like playing records and it was just wonderful. Yeah. And and I and I loved the way that he talked about his wife and his kids and his family, and he was such a like warm guy. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like I want to be like him. Yeah. Um, and and so I took you know a lot of the things he said, and then I, I started trying to implement them with my team. He ended up coming down to Louisville. So he spent two days in Louisville with my team. Oh, nice. And he told me, he's like, look, man, you know, you need to turn over. He basically told me I need to fire everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and why? Like and what was, was what was the insight? Well, I guess what it so so what were what were your takeaways in, in seeing his operations? Like what did you see him doing differently? So I think there were a couple things. One, there was a sense of calm. So, so my company had a sense of chaos. Yeah. So you'd walk, and I thought that a frenetic pace and people looking chaotic and uh, running everywhere and screaming and yelling and being loud was a sense of progress or was showing that we like we were doing good work. Yeah. But I mean, for the love of God, like you know, we're not solving cancer here. Yeah. <laughs> we're building yeah. websites. Yeah. So, so there's no need for this frenetic pace. And and a lot of it took after kind of me. Uh-huh. And and I to your point earlier, I kind of hired people that were like me. Yeah. And they were kind of frenetic. And so I went there and I thought it was amazing. You know, I'd walk around and his halls were quiet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I talked to his people and, you know, they weren't like running late to the meeting to see me. They were just like, sure, yeah, I'll talk to you. And they they were like warm and lovely people (laughs) and profitable. You know, the way they talked about their clients, I thought was really great. And and so, so, you know, it just it just seemed 
I hate this term because I hate it when business people use it. But when, when they talk about a family, like mm. when, when they talk yeah. about this kind of calm approach where there's trust and their love, how about this? A healthy family, right? Yep. So, so th- there's this sense of, you know what? When 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 Sarah tells me that that's going to be done on Friday, I believe her. Yeah, and I don't need trust. to check in on her every day. Yeah. I, it just works. And I thought I'd never really been in a company like that. Yeah. So I thought that was lovely, and I thought I thought it was really wonderful, and um, and then you know, so then he came down, <laughs> he came down to like, look at your team. <laughs> he's like, "Good lord, man, you can't! Like, you're the opposite." So to his credit, he pointed at specific people, and he's like, yeah. "You know, I think these people are really they, they could really be great." And then other people, you know, they're good people. Yeah, they just yeah. Weren't it's not a judgment personally. It's just like, yeah, exactly. They, they're not serving you well. Exactly, and we weren't serving them well. Yeah. Right. So we turned turned over most of the people. I. You know, of those 22 people, only three of them made it another year and a half. Wow. <laughs> so, so we really turned over the whole team. Yeah. And then we started, and this was another point, you know, this whole whole idea of who or what got you here isn't going to get you there. Yeah. So he said, Taylor, you know, you guys built 20,000 hour websites. You can't just take these same people in the same processes and build 100,000 hour websites. That's not the way it works. You got to hire new people. You got to have new process. You you have to have a new way of dealing with customers. I used to never take clients. I don't know why I had this rule, but I would never take clients like out to lunch or drinks or any of that. And that's a big part of big sales is the relationship and the smoothing. And I didn't realize how much I loved it. <laughs> so, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I could go on and on. A rule that didn't serve you very well in the end. Yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so, so that gave you kind of this transformation of the business and, you know, both culturally, but also it sounds like from a process, you know, point of view, strategic point of view, like the, the accounts you were going after. How, how did you, I guess, from a, from a sales and marketing point of view, how did that transformation occur? Like, how did you go from hunting, hunting and engaging with people that, you know, previously you're looking for $20,000 websites to $100,000 websites. Like what was the change in your kind of sales and and initial engagement process? So one of the biggest things he pointed out was that I was spending too much time in sales for too little outcome. Mm. So if you called my office and you said, Hey, I saw your name online, or I met you at a networking event, or somebody told me to call you and we need a new website. I would have an office manager. She would write down, you know, your name, all that eventually move to more of appointment system. And I would meet with you. I'd go out to your office. We would never meet at my office. I would go out to you. And I was doing two or three of these a week. So I was spending all my time largely outside the office going and meeting with people. And it felt, again, the frenetic pace, it felt like a lot of progress because I was doing a lot of activity. But these people, and he pointed it out, he's like, dude, these people don't have a budget. Like then, And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ask them a budget and they won't give it to me. And he goes, yeah. So you got to stop asking people for budgets. You got to (laughs) stop. You got to start telling them the budgets. And 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 I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And he said, he, he's like, here's what you say. You get on the phone and, and you say, hi, my name's Taylor. He's like, you never go meet with them. You get on the phone and you do a phone screening yeah. and you say, hey, this is going to take 10 minutes. Hey, Sam, you know, it's really nice to meet you. So what's your business? How'd you hear about me? Blah, blah, blah. Okay. That sounds great. So what are you looking for? Oh, we need a new website. Okay, Sam, that, sound, that sounds great. Just so you know, here's the way we operate. So we do a discovery process up front. That's usually five to $10,000. And then that, that'll take 60 to 90 days. We interview your customers. We do this whole process. And then from there, We'll go and we'll build out the website and build out the web kind of web properties that you need. Mm-hmm. They usually take six to nine months. That costs fifty to a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And then from there, we're going to do a, a digital marketing campaign, and you know it t- goes on from there, and it's three to ten thousand dollars a month. How does that sound? And then he says, and then you just shut your mouth yeah. because they're going to just say one of two things: either they'll say, "Okay, sure, that sounds great, yeah. let's meet," or they self-select out. 
yeah. they say, oh, man, that's way more than I wanted to spend. And you say, and you wish him luck. And yeah. I said, Jeb, if I did that, like, we would have no leads. And he goes, that's the point. <laughs> you, you, then you need different meeting, leads. <laughs> you need different leads. Like, you're meeting with all the wrong people. Yeah. You're wasting all your time. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. And so, so we did that. And yeah. then, you know, I had a couple of those calls, and I was really worried. And, um, you know, all these people said no, of course. Yeah. And then I got a guy, a woman, actually, Christina. She said, okay. She was actually a current client that we had sold her a $20,000 uh-huh. website, and we had lost probably 30 grand on it. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. And so she calls me back and she's like, hey, we need a new website. Of course, you know, I'm selling her, you know, $50,000 things for 20 yeah. grand. So of course she wants it. And so, <laughs> I'll take 10. <laughs> I'll take 10. Exactly. So she's like, you guys did great work. You know, it's really great. Such a bargain. <laughs> Such a bargain. And so she calls me back and she's like, hey, you know, we want this. We had, she was a manufacturing business. She had another brand. Yeah. And I said, uh, Christina, we, we can't do the old deal. We, we have this new process now. We're going to do discovery. You have to pay us $5,000 to do discovery. And she goes, well, what is that? And I said, well, we're going to do these wireframes. We're going to interview your yeah. customers. She's like, no, no, we don't want any of that. We just want a website. And I said, well, that's the only way we can do it. And I had somebody who was working for me at the time who told her all this. And she said no. And then I called her uh-huh. and we had this whole conversation. And I was like, Christina, you just have to believe me and you have to trust me. And to her credit, she said, okay, fine, we'll do it. And then we took that, what she thought was going to be a $20,000 website, ended up being, I think it was $83,000 or $85,000. And at the time, that blew me away. I was like, oh, my God. You know, I had hired a new creative director at that time. A lot of things were really going well. Larger things to Jeb. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of the beginning path to, to changing the way the business was. Well, and I, I, I think that's a powerful story, right? Well, it, it is a powerful story in the sense that you you kind of have to, you have to articulate and kind of manifest that before or, or define it before it's going to happen. Like if you, you needed to sit down and say, okay, look, this is our goal. We need to shift the business to do these kind of projects in these kind of ways at this kind of rate. Now let's go make that happen. You know, and I think that, you know, without that kind of planning and strategy and foresight and setting those objectives and then implementing, you know, you end up just getting more of what you've had before, you know, if, without kind of planning and intention, you're, you're just going to repeat the patterns and repeat the projects that, that you've been in. So I think that's a, that was a big change. You know, and I can see why why it worked just in terms of how you approached it. So let's talk a little bit about then kind of the next stage of growth, because I know, you know, at some point businesses get to kind of the size where sort of the founder, the entrepreneur, you know, needs becomes kind of a bottleneck in terms of the growth of the business, particularly around kind of the leadership and the management of the business. Tell me about the process for you in terms of putting together a you know, leadership team, management team, you know, bringing, bringing people into the higher level decision making and management of the company. How, how did that play out for you? Well, I think that there were, so I had a business coach, uh-huh. his name Good. is Ralph for yeah. <laughs> plug. Um, yeah. I, had a, I had a business coach for five years uh-huh. and then I ended up getting, and then I got another coach uh-huh. after him. And this business coach, I talked to him every Monday afternoon, sorry, every Monday evening. Uh-huh. And it was like therapy. I was also going through therapy at the time. <laughs> and, and so, so I, I also recommend. <laughs> all, highly recommend. And so, so I had all this like therapy and coaching. And, you know, you know, I started to learn about all these mechanisms and things I didn't know about. And one yeah. of them was this idea of the lens through which we see the world. And that there's this lens that I'm applying to different situations subconsciously. Let me give you an example. Yeah. So, so when I, because I didn't have a great experience with, 
schooling or with higher education. I really discounted it when it came to other people. And so unless you went to like Harvard or MIT, I didn't care where you went or what you did. All I care about was experience. <laughs> and, and, you know, it served me well in a number of ways. But a big gap that I had is that I thought that to be a good leader, you know, and I didn't think that I was a great one either. But to be a good leader, you know, you had to kind of go through the, the trenches and just do the hard work and figure it out. And now I think that, you know, now with hindsight, I, I think that I would have benefited more from coaching and kind of leadership training and sales training and sales coaching of my team. So I mention that because I tried to institute a number of things that Jeb had told me and others, you know, my business coach and whatnot. Uh -huh. But I was just one person. And so I'm trying to explain to my head of marketing how to be a good leader. And there's no way that I can explain that. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, she, at the time, you know, she actually turned out quite well. Yeah. But a number of other ones, it was, it was really unfair what I was asking them to do. Mm. You know, I, I need you to figure out a sales process. Well, this guy had never done a sales process in his life. What's he going to do? Google it and figure it out? Sure. I was setting up a lot of people in the early days for failure. Yeah. And then I would blame them or yeah. I'd be like, oh man, that was the wrong hire. And I think yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs do that. And I think really like, yeah. few people could have been successful in that situation, including me. Yeah. And so over time, you know, I think I got lucky. You know, I, I started working with I worked with this woman who was a, a director of marketing at an accounting firm, and she was one of, at the time, she was one of my favorite clients, mm -hmm. and she told me she was leaving the firm. And I said, uh -huh. so what are you going to do now? And she's like, oh, I'm just going to do some freelance consulting. And I said, well, I'll be your first client. Yeah. <laughs> and so I brought her on as a consultant, and then over time, she ended up kind of taking over the business, really, and she became uh, president of the COO of the company. When we sold, she uh -huh. went, with the, uh, went with the company to the acquiring firm. So, so yeah. I think in some ways... You know, for her, which that this was a success story, that there were a lot of examples of how poorly I did it, setting people up for failure. And, you know, when I let them go or when they quit, they said some not nice things to me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I learned some learned some valuable lessons there. But but in terms of finding good kind of team members, I don't think I was actually all that great at it. I, yeah. I think that um, I think I was just OK. I'm probably better at it now just because I've done a lot more of it. Mm -hmm. But I think I would have benefited from people who are much wiser than me helping me in that process. Yeah. Well, and I, I would say, having worked with a lot of founders and a lot of CEOs, it's not too uncommon. <laughs> you know that. And the problem I think is that as you know, as a as an entrepreneur, you know, we're kind of good at solving problems. Like we we like that. Okay. Well, let me figure it out. Let me you know apply my knowledge, my smarts, my creativity. I'll do some research. Like I'll figure it out. And so. We tend to be, uh, I think, at some levels, overly self-reliant on on our ability to kind of solve these things. And it's, you know, that's good at certain levels. And it's good when, you know, in early days when you need to be scrappy and you just kind of get things going. But yeah, it ends up, I think, working against us later when we really need to, you know, find people smarter than us that can come in and, and really add to the knowledge, add to the experience and, and create something that we really just can't create with our own experiences. Like we need, we need to leverage those things. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, I think there's a kind of the practical sense, but I think there's also the awareness and kind of the mindset. I think there's a shift. I think there's a shift that happened for entrepreneurs that reach that point and they change. They kind of change their thinking around it. I mean, did you notice what was there? I mean, you mentioned this work you've done with a coach and I think, was there a point at which 
you just kind of became aware of, oh, I see I have that, that that is something I've believed or a way that I've approached this and I need to probably change that if I'm going to get to the next level. Did you go through that experience? I think it was a slow shift. You know, it was, there wasn't kind of this one aha moment. There was, you know, there were a series of probably 20 of those and a lot of them involved negative feedback. So a lot of it involved, you know, I mentioned people would leave or I would let them go and, and they would say, you know, to me, they were hurtful things that may or may not have meant them to be hurtful yeah. or a client would leave or I would pitch, you know, a potential prospect. And I thought, man, we are the best company for this. And then, you know, they would um, tell me no for whatever reason or they'd pull out at the last minute. You know, a lot of the learnings came from pain. You know, a lot of the learnings yeah. came from, well, I don't want to, f-, you know, and then I would leave that meeting or, you know, or that event. And I remember how I felt. It's like, oh, wow, that really sucked. I don't want to feel like that again. <laughs> so what, what can I do? differently next time. And it was just a series of those, you know, and I continue to have those. Um, (laughs) Ironically, they don't stop. (laughs) They're just different now. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think there is, there's a choice that uh, I think we all end up making you know, you can take that feedback and, you know, you can blame something else. You can, you know, kind of blame them. Well, that was their problem, not mine. You know, you can kind of justify it. You know, you can say, oh, well, yeah, I get it, but I was in this situation. So, you know, it kind of made sense. Or, you know, you can take responsibility and you can say, all right, well, maybe I need to do some reflection here and figure out, like, is this working for me? Is it not working for me? What else might I do differently? You know, how would I implement that? You know, you see, like it's self-critical without being harsh or being kind of judgmental. It's, a, it's just reflecting on your own kind of role in that situation role in the process and deciding whether or not it's serving you well. And I think By that, the way, can, yeah. can I add one thing? Yeah. So, so, so there's, there's this funny, it was not funny at the time, but a funny <laughs> retrospect story. There's this guy who called our office and he said, hey, you know, I need a new website, blah, blah, blah. And and I said, okay, great. And this is before, you know, before I fully implemented this change of process. So I go out to his place. Uh-huh. This guy owned a retail store that sold fishing supplies, basically, okay. and water-related things. And so I go in there. You can't make this up. And so, so so this woman who's really nice and she, she kind of greets me and she says, okay, you know, we're going to be meeting back here. I was like, oh, oh, great. And she said, the owner will be out in just a second. Can I get you anything to drink? It's like, no, thanks. So then the owner comes out. He's just kind of like a middle-aged guy, kind of scruffy. And he says, um, hey, I wanted a website. And at the time I was working on changing my sales approach, you know, again, bit by bit, wasn't yep. big steps, just, yep. okay, you know what? I'm going to try this new thing today. And so I tried, instead of asking him a budget, I was trying, I'm going to state a budget. Uh-huh. And I was like, okay, what budget do I think that would be? He wanted an e-commerce site. Mm-hmm. And I think that I decided on 50 grand. Yeah. And so I said, hey, um, you know, the, Steve, it was, you know, this, is, this has been great from my understanding. Uh-huh. You, you want this. In our experience, what we do, you know, this is, and I was really nervous in saying it. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be, you know, it's going to be for probably around $50,000 for this website. Yeah. And he could not have reacted more violently to that answer. Really? And, he flips out. I remember he stood up and he goes, $50,000. I mean, I could see Toyota, like, oh my God, someone like Toyota spending $50,000. Oh, that's unbelievable. And he just goes off on me. And I couldn't understand it. He goes, he goes, you know what? The last guy I had built my website, I would hire him again. And I said, well, well why don't you, do, you know, I paid him $200. And, and I said, why don't you, why don't you do it? Yeah. And he's, he said, well, I called him, but he's in jail. And I said, <laughs> And I thought that I was being punked. I was like, surely this isn't true. <laughs> but it was. Like, this guy was just nuts. And oh I left God. there feeling so down. I was like, oh, man, that really didn't work. Like, what did I do wrong? What? Now, that company went out of business within a few months. Yeah. 
not surprisingly. Uh, <laughs> but but the reason I tell that story is because a it's kind of funny, but b it's yeah. it's like the learnings isn't always from us, right? So the learning isn't yeah. always that I did anything wrong. The learning may have been that sometimes we're not a good fit, yeah. and regardless of what I would have said or how like how talented I am or how skilled my ability in delivering these results, he wasn't ready for it, yeah. or their company wasn't a good fit. So I think that there, there's that element too to be careful about where to pull the learnings from. Yeah. You know, and that one, it, probably the learning is, you know, delivering that number over the phone rather than spending the time to go out there. <laughs> a, a, so that it saves time. B, so that you avoid bodily harm. <laughs> but, uh, that's a good one. I like it. So I wanted to chat just a little bit because I know you 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 did an exit. You, you sold your company. You, you had mentioned it a little bit before. And, you know, I'd be curious on the kind of more of the emotional, personal side, you know, because, you know, we talked to folks about, you know, the strategy for selling and pricing and the negotiation process and all that, you know, but I think there's a whole kind of personal side to this in terms of, you know, being an entrepreneur, being a founder. And I'd love to get, you know, just a couple of thoughts or takeaways from you in terms of, you know, the, the process, the personal emotional process of going through the sale. Like, what did any surprises, anything that you learned that worked well for you in terms of, you know, your connection to the company, if you had a strong connection to the company, you know, from an identity point of view or not? Was it easy for you? What was it like on a personal side? Yeah, so, so this is a good question. This is a question that I don't think gets asked enough when when it comes to exit. So, so yeah. to, to your point, a lot of people focus on terms or they focus on, you know, how was the deal structured? How did yeah. you do this? Or what was the, and kind of tactical things, but not enough people are talking about this question that you just asked around, well, how did it feel? Yeah. What, what was the, you know, you exited a business, yeah. Bruce, and, yeah. and what, what was the emotion of that? And for me, I was not prepared for that at all yeah. because so few people talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> so there were a series of things, right? We, we had a buyer, who approached us based in Boston. At the time, I was uh, doing a lot of traveling. <laughs> yeah. And I, I like had this very small window. I was getting ready to leave for Europe. And so I had this very small window where I could meet with them. They're based in Boston. I'm based in New York. The company I owned was based in Louisville, Kentucky. And the, the central point for all of us <laughs> to meet turned out to be Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> so, fascinating. Yeah. so I flew into Nashville for like 24 hours. When I had known the buyer. We, we had yeah. worked with them on a number of projects. And so, so we fly in, we go out drinking. And then the next morning, hungover at the hotel, like breakfast bar, that they say, you know, look, we'd be interested in, in, um, in buying it. So why don't you send over your financials and let's, uh, you know, let's get this rolling. Do this deal. Yeah. And I said, okay. So, you know, I have to be careful what I say here, but, yeah. but th- there were, th- there were a number of parts of the process that I thought would be really structured that turned out not to be, Mm -hmm. right? So so this buyer had someone on their team who had bought hundreds of companies as part of being a public entity. Uh And that, that really impressed me. I was like, oh, wow, you know, co-founded a business and ended up being worth billions of dollars. And so I really kind of was like, wow, this is, I was almost in awe of that. And, and so over time, well, then I flew to, I was in London or I was in Europe for a little while. Uh And I remember I got the letter of intent and I had agreed to the letter of intent after they got our financials and everything. And I was standing in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris and I was there with my friend Jeff Uh and we were, that was 
I don't you know. It was happiness. There, there was a sense yeah. of happiness, but also a sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. and pride and a sense of like almost completion. Yeah. Little did I know that that letter of resentment meant nothing. And, <laughs> <laughs> and that, like, you know, this sense of like. Or, or it meant this is the best I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. It's all downhill from yeah, here. Yeah, <laughs> You know, so many lessons I learned from that. Oh, geez. We, so we're in, we're in Paris and it was, it was late in Paris. So it was probably 11 p.m., 1130. And so we, we found this restaurant. We're in this touristy area of town. We find this restaurant. We go in there. And Jeff, he's like, dude, we should celebrate. Why don't we get a nice bottle of uh, champagne? So we buy a bottle of Cristal. Cristal. Nice. <laughs> we bought Cristal. I had never had Cristal in my life. And so, so, so we order Cristal. We point to it on the menu. We say it. And they bring out this like... $40 bottle of champagne <laughs> and they open it in front of us and they start pouring the champagne. And I'm like, God, Crystal looks kind of crappy. <laughs> and to my buddy's credit, Jeff goes, I don't think that's Crystal. And so he says to the waiter, like, hi, you know, Crystal. And the guy says, uh, no, this isn't Crystal. You, you guys clearly can't afford Crystal. No. We were dressing like shorts. Yeah, and exactly. Um, so anyway, we ended up getting Crystal and we drank the whole bottle. It was delicious and amazing and uh, highly recommend it. But, but yeah. the, I tell that story because I was, you know, fun. Like the rest of the Europe trip was great. I was having calls with the buyer pretty much every day. You're talking about different things. And it, and it was great. And to what you said, that was the peak. Right. And yeah. so from there, that was in April of 2018 uh-huh. until we closed at the end of August. I just experienced this wave of emotion that started with kind of like pride and amazingness. And, you know, towards the end, I went to the emergency room with chest pains. I was thinking I was having panic attacks and heart attacks. Yeah. I I felt immensely alone. Yeah. I, was, I was like, wow, I'm an idiot because I didn't you know, check this or check that, or I didn't ask this person on nope. my staff these questions. I trusted the people who worked for me yeah. and the people who ran the business. And yeah. I kind of let some things go mm-hmm. and, you know, won't go into detail, but, but yeah. th- there were a lot of things I would do differently. And one of them is a forensic accountant. So I, I wish yeah. that, that before I entered that letter of intent or at the very beginning, before due diligence, I'd paid a forensic accountant five or 10 grand, however much it was, to come in and really audit the books. Somebody who had never heard of our business, somebody who had no vested interests, who just would come in as an outsider and say, you know, what's going on here? Because had we done that and had had I hired a good firm to do that, I think it would have made due diligence go so much more smoothly. And, and, you know, a number of things kind of came up when during due diligence Mm -hmm. that would have been a hell of a lot better had I been the one who could have found out about it you know, versus the buying firm or what have you. Yeah. Well, I I mean, one of my general suggestions to folks when they start talking about an exit is, you know, a year before you're going to do an exit, you know, you you do that, you know, essentially have a forensic accountant or go through a mock sale, you know, and have someone that can come in and do, you know, basically do a, a analysis of it and, you know, find things. Yeah. I mean, I had similar things. It was like, you know, we were looking at, oh, well, based on the way your health insurance is structured, you know, there's a hundred thousand dollar liability on here that we need to like take off the, you know, the offer and stuff. I mean, it was like, and I mean, you know, not, I mean, some of it is just, at least I would have been, you know, emotionally, mentally prepared for it. <laughs> it wouldn't have been like right. the 11th hour, you know, 24 hours before we're trying to sign something, something comes up and now I've got a, I'm in the hot seat. Like, do I do the deal? Do I pull out and pay a hundred thousand dollar penalty? Like you're not in these kind of stress situations, but also you can do some things about those stuff. It's like, okay, well maybe we should change that or maybe we should restructure how we're doing those things. So this could really help valuation, you know? So yeah. And, and you know, I guess 
I'm not sure I have, I've had too many people end up in the emergency room, <laughs> but, but I've certainly had, you know, founders that are, you know, are exiting that have, have gone through, you know, significant emotional stress. And the other one is, you know, family stress. You know, I mean, it certainly happened to me when, you know, you've, you're dealing with family and kids and spouses and stuff like that. And, you know, trying to figure out, you know, try to explain some things to them and like, you know, what is, what's the deal going to look like? When is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? You know, all that can just add to the process and add to the drama. So, well, um, and, and good intent mentioned friends and family are, you know, if they know about the deal, every time they see you, they're asking, and the thing is, is that I thought about that deal and worked on that deal 12 hours a day. And so yeah. the last thing I wanted to do when I go to dinner at night <laughs> exactly. was to talk about that DM deal. Can like, we not talk about it? <laughs> yeah. Can we not talk about it? Yeah. And everybody, you know, no one's doing it maliciously. No, no. Yeah. They're, 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 they're curious. curious and they're supportive. Right? Yeah. You know, and they're trying to be supportive. Yeah. I remember the kind of chest pain story. I had to be in Boston for this meeting with the acquiring firm. I took train from here up to Boston, spent the day there, took like the midnight train back, got yeah. back to New York at 4 a.m., yeah. had a 7 a.m. flight to San Diego. Like it was a disaster. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. you know, I landed in San Diego. My brother got his MBA and he was graduating. And so I'm there for like three or four days and the whole time, like my chest yeah. and I couldn't tell anybody. Yeah. And th- then I was like, I was trying to find a way, maybe I could get to urgent care or something in San Diego. Diego, but I didn't want to worry my family. So then <laughs> I'm going to Uber I, myself to uh, the ER. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So then I, I I get back. I get on the plane, fly back to New York, booked with Zocdoc on the plane, uh, an appointment as soon as I landed, so that I could I could go and 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 you know it ended up being fine, thankfully. Yeah. yeah. But you know something that really helps a lot was talking to people who had sold. Yeah. And th- there's an EO member. I'm very involved in yeah. the entrepreneurs organization as you are as well. Yeah. And that there's an EO member who I met, I won't name him, but he sold yeah. three companies and done quite well. Uh-huh. And I met him at this board that met him at an event mm-hmm. and, and I came up to him and I was like, Hey, I'm going through a sale. I don't feel well. Could you do coffee with me? Yeah. And he said, uh, sure, I'd love to. And so we went to coffee and we spent three hours at, at this coffee. Yeah. And he told me at the end of the coffee, he goes, Taylor, listen to me, everything you're doing is all normal. This is like the way that you're, the way you're feeling. This is normal. The the, the emotions that you're feeling. Yeah. It's normal. He goes, Taylor. I've had chest pains. A lot of my friends who sold their companies, yeah. they had chest pains. And he's like, it's not glamorous, but it's normal. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. He goes, just take deep okay. breaths. Yeah. It's okay. Like you're gonna make it. He goes, even if this deal falls apart, you're still a good person. And and it doesn't mean you know that you're a shitty person or a bad businessman yeah. or any of this. Yeah. Like you're still a good person. It's okay. Yeah. And and that was just so helpful. Um, and he's like, and plus you're really young. He's, he's like, you're going to have more of these. Yeah. Is, yeah. You're have so many <laughs> the good more. news is you're going to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's like, you think this is bad. Just wait. <laughs> wait till it's a hundred million dollar deal. <laughs> exactly. You're really going to exactly. be in pain in that one. Oh, Oh, so, so I think that that, that bonding that comes from yeah. others who have been through it you know, you know, can be so helpful if just to say, hey, yeah. you're doing great. This is normal. All these things and feelings, this is all normal. It's okay. You know? Well, and the, I think, uh, I mean, fortunately for both of us, you know, that we ended up pulling it off, <laughs> getting the right. deals done. Exactly. You know, a lot of people end up going through this and then the deal falls apart and now they're back in their business. And, you know, oftentimes the, uh, you know, the impact is taking your eyes off the business and trying to get the deal done. You you end up with you no, know, no deal. And then a business who's not doing so well because you haven't really been paying attention to it for six months. So, you know, there, there are other outcomes that are actually, you know, more challenging um, 
or, or lead to then, you know, more challenging endpoints. So, um, totally you agree. know, maybe silver lining, but yes. um, this has been great. We're going to hit time. If people want to, you know, learn more about you, your experience, you know, have questions, what's the best way to get more information? So you can go to my website and go to taylortrusty.com, T-R-U-S-T-Y.com. And on there, you can find contact information for me. I'm pretty fairly active on Twitter. I just post articles that I think I read a lot now, have a lot of time. So I uh, just post articles about tech and business. And uh, yeah, email addresses on there and feel free to reach out. Perfect. I will, I'll make sure that you're all on the show notes. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much for the for the conversation. I, I really appreciate you sharing the details and the personal aspect of, of, of these stories with us. It's really, it's been insightful and it's been a pleasure. Yeah, pleasure is all mine. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.